This is the Worker Experience, a podcast that's speaking directly to employees. Hosted by Edgar Jatu, Executive Director of Workplace Fairness, an advocacy organization that developed and maintains the number one free online resource for workers' rights information. Let's get to work. An estimated 50 billion is stolen from workers' earnings each year through a variety of violations concerning overtime, off-the-clock work, tipped work, meal breaks, and more. These illegal practices are known as wage theft, and oftentimes, dishonest employers can steal worker pay in violation of the Fair Labor Standards Act without the fear of facing significant consequences. Nearly 40% of workers are said to have experienced wage theft at some point in their career, whether it was being paid less than their local minimum wage or being forced to give a portion of their tips to management. These practices often disproportionately impact low-wage workers, preventing many from climbing above the poverty line. Many workers who speak out when experiencing wage and hour issues are met with retaliation. If you believe you are a victim of wage theft, Stay tuned for the rest of this episode or head to our website for more information on how to address your situation and the resources that are available to you. We are joined today by Nadja Farley, who is a senior staff attorney at the National Employment Law Project, or NELP. Her work focuses on improving employment quality through policy advocacy in the areas of wage theft enforcement, minimum wage, wage theft, and retaliation. Ms. Farley also provides technical assistance and amicus support to attorneys representing clients in low-wage industries. Ms. Farley is also a member of the New York State Industrial Board of Appeals, where she reviews decisions of the New York State Department of Labor in the areas of wage and hour. Ms. Farley is passionate about workers' rights and improving the conditions of working people. Having come from a long line of Black workers in Cleveland and New York City, by way of the great migration from Alabama, North Carolina, Tennessee, and West Virginia. So Nadja, welcome to the show today. And why don't you uh, introduce yourself a little bit more and talk a little bit more about the work you do at NELP. Sure. Uh, Okay, my name is Nadja Farley and I'm an attorney at the National Employment Law Project. Before NELP, I did government enforcement in the area of wage and hour and um, labor issues at the Labor Bureau at the New York State Attorney General's Office. And prior to that, I worked on the My Safety and Health Project at the United States Department of Labor, the Solicitor's Office in Philadelphia. And uh, there I was um, solely um, litigating uh, with my safety and health cases. And so uh, my career has really been um, in the field of workers' rights and labor and labor rights um, in the workplace. Right now at NELP, I work on a few different issues. I work on some issues of wage theft enforcement, like helping uh, localities um, set up like wage theft enforcement projects or also like doing technical assistance with organizations that want to help improve like wage theft ordinances or get some types of ordinances passed that do wage theft. Um, and also like 
things like this, like try to do interviews and other public education, like presentations to raise um, awareness of wage theft and wage and hour protections that exist for, you know, workers in the workplace um, every day. And also I work on issues of coercive waivers. And so that entails looking at the issue of non-compete agreements, forced arbitration, and some like non-disclosure agreements. We work on these because in our work, we see that these are usually employed in a coercive way to uh, either keep workers in the workplace or stop them from reporting like abusive or oppressive issues in the workplace. Like as you saw with the Me Too movement, non-disclosures, all of these agreements are, um, have sort of served as a way of stopping workers from accessing their rights. And so like, that's why we, you know, work on those. And then like, you know, generally my team that I work on has a lot of issues that around um, minimum wage and raising the minimum wage. So I help out with that as needed. I'm not like the point person on that, but um, I assist with that as needed. And also another thing we've been looking, we, I've been doing research on and working on some is like how to raise awareness or talk about like how racism affects black workers in terms of how um, black workers are kept in certain segments of the economy and also um how like the our wage and hour laws as they were conceived uh excluded black workers and how that continues to have an effect today um and so you see that effect especially in the area of like tipped um wages and also mm -hmm. like the at will employment system i think those are two like big places and also actually maybe there are three that and also like the lack of unions in like low wage industries is another place that you can see like how black workers were left out of our core labor laws at the inception. So that's a little bit about like what I do. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that, Nadja. Um, and it's very impressive and you seem very busy. <laughs> you say, <laughs> I try um... to keep busy. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, today we're going, we're going to discuss wage theft. Um, but I think before we get into that topic, why don't you briefly explain to our listeners what we mean by wage and hour the, or the or the broader topic of wage and hour? Um, sure. So wage and hour law encompasses like basically all the laws around how people are paid in the workplace. And so that means that like what is the minimum wage for a particular job? also includes like who is eligible for overtime versus not eligible for overtime, whether or not like you should be paid out for specific things. Like, for example, like the wage and hour laws in your state may say, okay, like you should be paid out for vacation at the end of your job, or you should get a certain number of sick days that all of that sort of, I think falls under wage an hour because it, it governs like what your wages are in the workplace and like how like you're paid out for them or how you get um, compensated for the time you're there. That's a fantastic explanation. And if you can also maybe talk through how wage and hours can differ, in, you know, between the federal government and state to state. The federal government minimum wage is seven twenty five an hour has been set there since 2009. And the tipped wage, I think, is like two fifteen an hour. So your minimum wages in the federal government are going to probably be different than the minimum wage in your state, just because a lot of states have been uh, raising the minimum wage in their state. I think there were like, let's see, 
Alaska, Florida, Minnesota, Montana, Ohio, South Dakota, Vermont, all have higher minimum wages, um, recent raises, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Missouri, New Jersey, New York, New Mexico, Washington, all have like automatic increases that have been happening. Yeah, I think it was in 2020 that Florida approved a state raising the state minimum wage to $15 per hour by 2026. So that rate, the minimum wage in Florida is is going up to. There was a report released earlier that talked about how like the fight for 15 has won like 150 billion or more in raises for workers. This fight for 15 movement was really in the states. Um, it was put they pushed for the federal minimum wage, but I think like the federal minimum wage still is stuck. But they were able to the fight for 15 movement has been able to raise the minimum wage in the states. Uh, so that's the core difference. Is like your minimum wage may be in the state may be like fifteen dollars an hour or so maybe more than that and then uh the federal government is stuck at seven twenty five so if you're if you have an issue with your wages like that's why a lot of people will go to like the state DOL or something like that for assistance because they can hopefully get your wages do a case to get wages back for that higher amount as opposed to just like the 7.25 an hour that uh, is due under the federal government. But there are some states like a lot of the which goes back to the racism in the work and the uh, workplace and the legacy of slavery is like a lot of the southern states don't have a, any minimum wage. And so that means that the only wage and hour assistance that you can get would be to get your money back through the federal uh, system with the 725 an hour. So. Right. Well, thanks for bringing that down, Nadja. And we've, we've, we broke down what wage and hour means and, and how it works, you know, at the federal level and state level. So let's talk through wage theft. You know, what, what is wage theft and why should listeners care about um, wage theft? Well, first of all, I'll start and say like, you know, it's not like wage theft is a way of framing it, I think like sometimes people um, maybe quibble with the terminology because it makes it seem like it's a criminal issue. And some places do have criminal ordinance, but generally it's a civil issue um, where your employer is not basically paying you the full wages you are owed. Historically, through the enslavement of Black and Indigenous people, slave owners stole generations of wages from people doing domestic work, farm work, other skilled labor, and I think that this is a part of the legacy that continues today because wage theft is that is that basically that practice continuing where you're not fully compensating workers for their labor. And it can happen in multiple ways. First, um, one of the more common ones is like you're not being paid whatever the minimum wage is in your state. So um if you or the fed or under the federal system so you may let's say your state is $15 an hour and they're really paying you like $14 an hour or $10 an hour a lot of times like people don't even get notice of what their pay rate is that's something that in New York state falls under the wage and hour laws is that you are required to give every worker like notice of their pay rate but i definitely had um cases where people weren't even given 
uh, notice of what their pay rate was going to be when they took the job. So they're just working and getting paid, don't know like what the rate is. And so like whatever it is, they're getting paid is unclear. So that's one way. Another way is like unpaid overtime. I had a lot of uh, investigations where um, people were being given what the terminology in the, in the field is straight time for overtime. Mm-hmm. So overtime is under wage and hour laws. Is, um, only certain workers are eligible for overtime. And then there's a whole analysis of like who's eligible. It includes like people who don't fall into like the executive or um, an, an executive exception or whatever. So let, let's say like not everyone's eligible for overtime, but if you are eligible for overtime, you're supposed to be paid time and a half for every hour you work over 40. And so if you're not getting that, a lot of a lot of places will say, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to keep paying you your regular rate for your hours over 40. So you work 50 hours. Those last 10 hours are not time and a half. They're just like your regular, whatever your regular pay rate is. So that's another big one. Um, there's also like a lot of illegal deductions that take place um, that fall under wage and hour laws and fall under wage theft. And that's when you say workers will be a lot. There are a lot of workplaces that will charge workers for things in the workplace. Like, let's say like um, someone takes money out of the cash register and there are some employers that will say, OK, well, like if your cash register is short at the end of the day, I'm taking that money out of your wages. That's totally unlawful under wage and hour laws. Or let's say you have they're charging you for something broke in the workplace or you had or like, you know, a light fixture like fell or something like that. And they'll charge you for that. Those are all considered illegal deductions um, for your wages. I've seen also like things like jobs where they make you pay to work the job. And that's also considered illegal deductions. Like, let's say like every time you go to work, you have to give the, the boss back like $50 out of your pay or something like that. Like sort of like a finder's fee that you like you pay to work there like that's all unlawful under wage and hour laws like the estimates of wage theft vary many of the estimates fall between 30 billion and 60 billion wages stolen each year in the united states through um wage theft and so you know but those estimates are hard to really quantify because how do we actually know like we only know about it when people come forward there's no like system by which we can track like how much people are paid every year um other than like the taxes but the tax rates don't show like how many hours you work versus all the information that would be needed to determine it so those estimates are really only based on like how many the people come forward so you know maybe less or maybe more um And the reason why some people don't, I guess another thing to to mention is like people don't come forward because they're a lot of times either afraid of losing their job or afraid of having other types of retaliation. Like I've seen cases where like an employer said, okay, like if you report these wage, um, wage and hour violations, like I'm going to call ICE on you or I'm going to, you know, retaliate against you physically things that you know you might not think people would do like it's very it could get very very dangerous for workers to come forward well thank and thank you for sharing that Nadja and and you you, you mentioned you know some of the reasons why people don't come forward and, and just sort of staggering numbers 
um, behind or explaining how much waste stuff happens in our economy. So can you, for the listeners, talk through what industries and or people um, are, are most at risk or uh, of wage theft or experience wage theft or have or have experienced the most? Well, I think that like the industry, there are the industries that are affected more are usually low wage industries. So you have like domestic workers, a lot of times affected by wage theft. Also, like uh, we've seen that disproportionately women of color have high rates of wage theft, especially um, because women of color are in fields like domestic work, care work, restaurant work. Another big one like is a very, um, there's so much wage theft in restaurant work because um, you also have like the tip minimum wage and that's another big um, issue. I think like there was a report on how tip the tip wage come, is a direct legacy of slavery and right. how that is has an um, effect on workers in the restaurant in, restaurant industry being especially a, many workers of color so like the history like that they talked about was that like many waiters were black men and mm-hmm. so that that's why they were being uh basically only all the wages they were making were tips and so that's why the tip minimum wage like evolved the way that it did to be in those industries that have mostly people of color, like the restaurant industry, car wash industry, and also nail salons, like things like that, that, that fall into disproportionately having people of color and hospitality industries. So you have like workers in hot hotels places like that. I think one of the other big industries is um, construction. That's another one. One Fair Wage is the organization that's worked to stop tip wages across the country. And they did that report on restaurants and um, the legacy of slavery and the tip minimum wage. The construction industry is another big one that has um, a lot of issues with wage theft. And I think like that's because the construction industry has so many different um, prevailing, may have prevailing wage, like wages that are set by the industry itself, um, or they may have, you know, certain like tiers of people like that are supposed to be paid differently. And so like there's all of these, the construction industry also a lot of has like issues with kickbacks where people are being told, okay, like you, you go out and work this job and get paid this amount and you have to give this money back to the boss. Like all of these different things that take place in that industry makes it a high, um, high, uh, violation industry as well. So. Yeah. Well, th- thanks for that. And yeah, it, you know, as Nadja has aptly said, wage stuff occurs a lot in, um, industries where people are going to pay low wages and tend to be people of color. And so think about our economy and how much the service industry um, is a big component of our economy. And so you can just think about how much um, violations are occurring day to day amongst that segment of the population. And related to our where our conversation is going, can you talk through how nationality or immigration status plays into wage theft? Immigration status plays into wage theft when oftentimes like companies or employers may pay immigrants less like there's waste of allegations that a lot of times that like let's say like workers who have a 
you know, who have a social security number or whatever, like maybe pay more than the workers who are immigrants or undocumented. But even with workers who are not undocumented, um, you see that kind of discrimination where like they'll say, okay, well, I'm going to pay these workers less because they're immigrants. And so, you know, that's definitely unlawful. And I think like there's also obviously the issue of immigration retaliation, like I mentioned before, like um, especially under, um, you know, the Trump administration when ICE was very active, like there were a lot of cases where workers were basically told if you come forward about waste theft or if you come forward about um, issues, discrimination in the workplace, like that we will call ICE on you or like we had issues where ICE um, was even called by people during depositions or to come to the courthouse. Um, and so like that was had a huge chilling effect mm-hmm. on workers. Um, but under the laws, like you can still bring a case for wage theft, even if you're undocumented because you're still owed those wages. And like our law doesn't, the wage and hour laws don't um, say, okay, like if you're undocumented, you can't get your back wages. Like you're still eligible to get um, get those wages. But that is a big issue of like immigration retaliation yeah. um, where, and even if you, let's say like somebody isn't undocumented, but let's say family members are undocumented. Like there have been times when employers have said, okay, like I'll call ICE on your whole family, you know? So I mean, obviously those are more egregious, but I think like that is one of the ways that it's really important to have, you know, an immigration system that works more in conjunction with like the Department of Labor or in their, in the state, in the state, whatever the Department of Labor in the state is, or the Federal Department of Labor so that they can protect workers um, as opposed to leaving them vulnerable to these types of abuses. Right, right. Thank you for that, Nadja. And wage step, you no, know, obviously it's been happening for a very long time. Um, but what pointers do you have for listeners and workers on ways they can protect themselves from being victims of wage theft? Okay, so one of the first things I say to workers is like, you know, not that you can be like a an expert, but to try and like find out, you know, basic things about your state in your locality, like what is the minimum wage and like, see, you know, when you take a job, like take note of like what the pay rate is, um, keep track of like those types of things, make sure they give you like the information. And then I think like in the day to day, try to keep track of your own hours, um, how much you work and how much you're paid. Um, Maybe if you have access to a phone that is um, private, like your own phone, you can take pictures of your checks or your payments if they're paying you under the table. Like you can still, you know, bring a case if there is wage theft, like even if they're supposed to pay you on the books. So if they're not doing that, like that also plays into like, you know, your case, if you can do something like that, I would say like, also, if you think that there is going to be like some type of retaliation, you know, make sure you write down something about that in your, if you have like a notebook or something like that, write that down, what was said to you, like who said it. And just like, if you're going to bring a case, like 
or going to go to, um, you know, anybody. Like you can go to the Department of Labor, you can find a private attorney, you can go to legal aid. Uh, you'll have that information there. But in general, like if you think it was just a mistake or you think it was just like, you know, something that can be rectified easily, if you're keeping track of it yourself and you go to the your employer and just say, hey, like, you know, it looks like my wages were short this month or this week. Like, what was that? And see like if they if they'll fix it. Um but if not, like you can, you have the record of it yourself and you can start to get that information or build that information uh, for going to file a complaint if needed. Let's see, if you decide to go forward to a complaint, like I think like, it's important to talk to your family, your community about what you're doing. And if you are, especially if you're um, an immigrant, either documented or undocumented, like you want to make sure you have organized with your family and your community about what will be done to protect you if, if your employer does try to retaliate against you. Um, and I think like those are the main things that I would, what I try to tell workers when I talk to them about it. Let's see. And like, you know, because like when you go to write a complaint, if you're at the Department of Labor in New York, like they'll basically give you like a sheet of paper and like with certain questions on it, but then they'll have a space for like a narrative where you could talk about like what happened and that'll give information about what's going on. Or like, if you call legal aid or call someone else, like they're going to ask, they're going to ask you like, you know, how much are you paid? How much you're supposed to be paid? Like, uh, what do you think is happening? And I mean, like sometimes the cases are really clear cut. Like I've had cases where like, they actually just weren't paying any, any wages, you know, and that's clear cut. But if it's something like more, um, detail to work out like you have that information and you can make sure like that you can get that information on paper and hopefully get some help yeah that's that makes a lot of sense Nadja and thank you for that and just some other things to add you, you know I there are plenty of apps out there that you can put on your phone that will help you track your hours and, and record your hours and and certainly rope his friends and the department of labor and they'll have resources on their resources on their website that you can tap into to help you understand what your rights are within your state, um, you know, and, and particularly if you're not paid in a, the most traditional way, how to make sure you're accounting for your hours and how much you, you should be getting paid to make sure you're at, at, at least um, minimum wage in, in where you are or at the federal level. Um, and also, I can't just count how important it is to talk to other employees about- Oh, yeah, yeah. Getting paid, you know, um, just speaking with other workers wherever you work, might give you some insight um, as to what's happening with you. And if it's if a number of you that are experiencing the same wage issues, um, whether it's lack not getting paid properly or on time or 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 certain deductions being taken out of your paycheck that are illegal, um, then together can go to the company and assert your rights and you have more power and protection that way as opposed to doing it yourself. Um, and there are many laws that protect workers, even especially in non-union workplaces that will allow you um, to together collectively talk to your employer about working conditions, including um, wages um, or, or lack thereof, without protect you if there's any retaliation from your employer. So it's another thing to really think about. Yeah, definitely. I think like that's really good to remember. And also, like you have protection under the 
um, labor, the traditional labor laws, like and through the NLRB for doing things like um, collectively, even if it's not, you know, necessarily starting a union, like you have protections for doing those types of things in the workplace. And another thing I was going to say, though, is like um, for when you're talking to the community, like people in your community also might be a part of those types of organizing efforts. So like there's been times in New York, at least like, and I'm sure in other states where like the community organized because like certain people, um, I think there was like a bakery where like workers weren't being paid appropriately and the whole community came out to like protest that bakery and to boycott that bakery um, for not paying their workers. And like, especially if you are connected to like a community, like a restaurant or something in the community that a lot of people go to, like you can also, you know, use that as a part of your organizing uh, to draw attention to the issue and hopefully um, get them to change like their ways in terms of uh, compensating compensating their employees um, appropriately. Yeah, those are all good things to think about. Yeah, and and not to mention all the networks of worker rights centers um, that uh, are now all around the country, you know, that where you can go to for additional support and even to find an attorney that might be able to represent you or your co- and or your colleagues um, or work and all the workers in, in these types of situations. So, um, yeah, put out there. I haven't, um, I know the Department of Labor came out with an app like recently too, like the Department of Labor came out with their like wage and hour app, um, which I think like they had, they had out like a few years ago and then they revamped it. So I don't know how it is. I haven't used it, but I heard, um, you know, I heard good things about it in the process of like them um, redoing it. So hopefully like they, uh, did a good job, but definitely you could check that out as well. Um, they had, I saw them announce it on their Twitter, on the Department of Labor Twitter page, but I think it's in the app store. Um, and there might be others too that you know about. I heard though that like, um, that, that this was a, a big thing, like more workers are using apps to keep track of like their yeah. hours and stuff, as opposed to a notebook, like I, like I suggested. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, whatever um, technology you want to employ to do this, you know, you know, as long as long as it you know helps you um, keep track of your hours and assert your rights. Nadja, we talked a lot about like the mechanics of waste stuff, what it is, and how it affects people and, and what industries, but. Can you talk to the bigger implication as to why wage theft is um, bad for workers and bad for the economy in general? I mean, it's bad for workers because, like, people need money to live. Like, <laughs> like I feel like, you know, like, if you don't, if you have in a, a situation where, like, workers are not getting the value for their labor, even to the extent that you think workers are underpaid, like, even taking it further than that and not paying them for the amount that they're even owed under the law. Like, it's like, you're taking so much exit, um, so much of the value out of workers and, and basically, you know, directing it upwards, um, to employers and to corporations and padding like, um, you know, corporate profits and like, the wages have been stagnant in this country for a long time. And like with inflation increasing, like it's getting harder and harder to make a living. 
uh, for everyday people. And so I think, uh, you know, that's the biggest issue. That's how I even started working in this area is that like a lot of my family were work workers in the workplace, like in the postal service, in the steel mill industry. I'm from Cleveland, like um, in the oil industry, like I have like so many family members and friends who have dealt with these issues. And so that's how I ended up going into this area. And I just felt workers are what keep the economy going, not the corporations and the profits and the corporate buybacks, like all those things are not what keep the economy going. The economy is the workers. Like it's so if workers can't afford to live, then we don't, what do we, we're not moving forward. We're not like uh, putting into the people that keep everything going. So I guess that's how I would answer that question. You know, that's, that's, you know, you make some great points. And, you know, and one thing that I, what I care about the most with these topics is that, you know, when we talk about communities and communities that um, are not doing well economically, you know, a major reason why is not simply, even if they are paid properly, the wages are so are so low um, for the work that a lot of these communities are, are doing, you know, very, you know, in some cases, backbreaking work, right? But when you don't pay someone um, on time or, or, or withhold money for, from someone for their labor, you know, it it has such drastic effects on a local community, right? Rent can't get paid, groceries can't get paid, people, students maybe cannot do certain things in school, um, people can't get to work, you know, or 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 get to community events. You know, um, it it, it makes such a huge impact negatively on a community when people are not paid properly or not, or not paid on time or or just have to deal with that that that, that issue with the employer. You know, at the very least, you know, for many people, they don't get paid enough. At the very least, they can be paid properly. You know, yeah, whatever they get definitely. paid. And we saw during like, um, you know, the beginning of COVID, the pandemic, like, who were the people who were keeping the economy running? All of these essential workers are the people who are most likely to be subject to wage theft. And so I think like we had a situation where like people finally saw like you know, who are the people keeping the, the economy running? Who are the people keeping the country running? Like, why why should we continue to um, pay them less than what they're owed? You know, like, we should really try to increase the way the their pay, like, increase the minimum wage, but also just, like, ensure that everyone who's keeping this country running and keeping the communities running is being paid fairly and being compensated appropriately so right right so you know, on the topic of covid you know since we've been in this pandemic well i guess now most people wouldn't say it's as bad as it was before but it's still pretty bad uh for workers have you seen any changes in the way we see wage stuff in the age of covid you know particularly now that people are teleworking more working from home or or businesses under under more pressure because of the economy. Have you seen any differences, or is it more or less the same? Well, I mean, I think like wage an hour has had to think of through the the lawyers on the plaintiff side have had to think through like what is happening in in the home, like with workers working from home. Like there are definitely instances where workers probably should be getting overtime, and they aren't because they're not in the office. Um, so like people are working more, some people working from home are working way more than like they were 
when they were in the office. And so, and it's harder, I think, to get people to see like the work that they're doing over time if they're at home doing it. So that's been a challenge, but like they're also have been like a lot of cases with like essential workers um you know like who are working longer hours in the office or in their at their work site um because of covid and having to come forward about wage theft in those workplaces because like they were so overloaded from having so many workers out with covid or having workers had drop out of the workforce, um, especially with like the restaurant industry, like with so many workers that have dropped out of workforce. I think that that's how this whole idea of like, oh, like people don't want to work. I think like that was fictitious. Like, I think that that issue was basically like that people were dropping out of the workforce because like they were sick, had long COVID or had to take care of their kids. Um, because there's a huge lack of childcare, and that's another industry that has has changed drastically in the wake of COVID. Where, like, their childcare is really hard to come by. Daycare centers, a lot of them have closed down or had uh, reduced how many children they take in, and that's another situation. Right. I think it's due to COVID and um, the effect that it's had on workers in the childcare industry. And I think like that's another piece that sort of brings together like a lot of the different parts of labor law, which is not just wage now, but also health and safety. If you have have a situation where people aren't being protected in the workplace and like having to be exposed to COVID over and over again and then having to leave due to long COVID or something like that. Like I don't I just don't understand the philosophy that a lot of the a lot of employers are taking that it's okay for that to happen because at the end of the day, like their workplace is going to be severely affected by that. I think like the idea that people don't want to work just doesn't make any sense. Like people want to, a lot of people want to work because they want to be able to live. Like you want to be able to have housing. Our country doesn't, doesn't really provide for people who aren't working like to the level that most people want to live. Like, I mean, it's a subsistence level. So I think like most people who are dropping out of the workforce is because like either COVID has made them so sick they can't work and, or like they have some other extenuating circumstances because of the pandemic that has caused them to need to stay home. So, and so you have like people who are left in in a lot of industries, like having to pick up the slack and working more overtime and working more hours and I think like that's why you have like there's been a lot of cases like which have cases since the pandemic started. I think like you have sort of like a little bit of a lull like right at the beginning of 2020 where there were less cases, but then like 2021, 2022, like the cases are really coming in. A lot of people are coming forward. So Nadja, any parting thoughts for our listeners about around wage theft? whether the importance of it or practical ways to identify it and and um, bring employers to, to account or anything else you want people to know? I don't know. I think, I, you know, it's just important to keep raising awareness of the issue and keep, like, um, hammering home the fact that, like, workers are deserve to be paid their full wages and they shouldn't have to go through so much to like basically be paid appropriately in this time period in this economy in this pandemic like really 
focus on making sure that workers are made whole, like workers are getting like their fair pay and how to make that happen is just to continue to talk about it and continue to hammer home like in the media, in your fit, in your community, in your workplace, like that, like this is something that we're not going to stand for. We're not going to stand for, you know, this continued devaluation of labor and instead want to see labor value for what it is, is like integral to making our communities run, you know, not to go back to like the COVID times, but like what happens when like people decide to stop, like thank you, healthcare workers or stop, you know, waving the flags and stuff like that, like, or banging the drums, whatever people are doing, like, do we just decide, okay, like now it's fine to go back to, to not paying people? Mm-hmm. No, like we can't do that. <laughs> like we can't, we can't do that. Like we need to continue working to make this, um, you know, make our country work better for everyone, you know? Awesome. Awesome. So, Nigel, where can people find you and support your work? I'm on uh, the the NOPE website if you need to contact me. Um, my Twitter is my first name, last name, Naja Farley. I tweet about some of this stuff. And I'm on LinkedIn, too, at Naja Farley. So definitely, you know, get in contact with me if you um, want to talk more. That sounds good. Well, Naja, thank you so much for your time today. Um, this was fantastic and very helpful and informative. Um, we hope to have you on again soon. Good seeing you again, Edgar. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Worker Experience Podcast with your host, Edgar Jatti. This episode was produced by Alea Arison and edited by Haikun Wang. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Workplace Fairness, you can follow us on all major social media platforms. If you would like to donate to Workplace Fairness, please head to the link in the show notes or text write at 53555 to give. Thanks again and hope you tune in next time.